Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Um, as you know, we're working through a theme of the Ten Commandments. Um, and, uh, and we started off, we had a video from J. John, uh, which was really good on coveting. So we're working the, the wrong way through the Ten Commandments, or maybe the right way through. So working from the back, number 10, through, and then Nick preached last week on, um, on lying, hold to the truth. Um, and what uh, I wasn't here for it, but I listened to the podcast. So we have a podcast of all the preachers that go out. Again, if you want, if you want to log into that podcast, give me a shout afterwards. We'll get you sorted. But listening to Nick's preach, really good. And something that stood out for me, the lies that we tell ourselves. So we know about lying. We know how people lie and that sort of thing. But what about the lies that we tell ourselves? It's really important to, to understand those lies and to, to defeat those lies. Um, one thing Nick said was, was lies about being unworthy. I feel really unworthy standing up here this morning doing this. But God's put this stuff on my heart and I need to do it. So I've got to defeat that lie. I'm not unworthy. I'm worthy to stand up here and do this. So, so that is really good. So if you haven't listened to that, it's good that you should. So this week, um, it's about stealing. And the title is How to Prosper with a Clear Conscience. Um, and uh, so we're going to be look at, looking at the, the verse from Exodus that says, You shall not steal. Uh, but first of all, I just want to do a bit of context um, with that verse on the screen um, into, into how all this happened. You may know the story of the Ten Commandments, and it's in Exodus, so it's early on in the Bible. And this is Moses was given the Ten Commandments by God. Uh, and if we turn to that in our Bibles, uh, Exodus 20, in fact, we'll start the, the chapter before, which is um, 19. Um, just to set some scene as to, as to what's happening with these um, Ten Commandments. So I'll just start at verse uh, 1 at uh, chapter 19 in Exodus, and uh, this is about Mount Sinai. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. So this is the scene. They've, they've moved from Egypt. They're three months in, and they're at this, the foot of this mountain, Sinai. And basically what happens is that Moses goes up on top of this mountain, and God spends time with him, 40 days and 40 nights. And he's 80 years old. How do we know that? Moses died when he was 120, so we take the 40 years off that he was in the desert. He was 80 years old when he did this. So he's climbing this mountain to spend time with God. Now, Mount Sinai is 2,285 uh, 2, meters high. Snowdon is 1,085 meters high. So Mount Sinai is twice the height of Snowdon, and this 80-year-old man is going up there to meet God. Now, if you ever walked up Mount Snowdon, it's a, it's a day, isn't it? It's a day trip out, isn't it? So he's doing this. This is 80-year-old Moses going up. So there's miracles happening already, yeah? Even before we, we actually understand about what's happening. And if, and if you read on through this as well, um, the, the, the whole thing 
covers lots and lots of chapters. But what happens is after he's come down from the mountain, that he's been there for 40 days with God, the children of Israel have just gone mad and they've built this, this calf that they're all worshipping. So it all kicks off. It's absolute chaos. And he then smashes the tablets that he's got from God on the floor. And he has to then sort out all the children of Israel. And then he goes back up the mountain to get the tablets again. So 80 years old, he's done all that. I was in the Lake District for two nights. That was, about, that was bad enough for me. I needed a holiday when I got back from there. He's on top of a mountain, twice the height of Snowdon, 40 days, 40 nights, come back down, and the, the children of Israel have done this, so he has to go back up and get them again. So lots of backwards and forwards. Well done, Moses. I hope I'll be like that when I'm 80. Okay, so there's a bit of background, bit of context there in Exodus. So if we look at stealing, I think... I think when we go through this list, it's a list, isn't it? We go through a list that is the Ten Commandments. When we go through the list, we kind of tick off the ones that we, we do and the ones that we don't. And maybe we're guilty of and maybe we're not guilty of. And maybe stealing, you think, is maybe not something that you do. Maybe you think stealing is just maybe just reaching into the seat next to you and taking that person's phone. Now, you would never think of doing that. Or maybe someone's wallet's been left at the back and maybe that would disappear. That might be stealing in your eyes. But stealing covers so many other things. Uh, and this is why we've got this, this other title here, How to Prosper with a Clear Conscience. So let's just look at those two words uh, that are in there. So we've got the word prosper and we've got the word conscience. So prosper is flourish and grow strong and healthy, achieve economic success. And we all want to prosper, don't we? We all want to prosper. That's one of our goals. We want to be successful. We want to achieve. Uh, we, want to, we, we want to earn money. Um, and uh, we want to grow strong and healthy. So that's something we can identify, is to prosper. And conscience. We all know we've got a conscience. Conscience is a person's moral sense of right and wrong. A guide to one's behavior. I remember when I was small and I suddenly realized I had a conscience. It was something telling me what I was doing was right. And then something else would tell me there was something was wrong. And I remember consciously, <laughs> consciously having a conscience. Um, and, and so the word conscience um, is, is interesting. But I think the devil tries to talk, speak to us about our conscience, doesn't he? He doesn't want us to have a conscience. He wants us to do things outside of our conscience. Don't worry about that. It will be okay. Don't worry about that. That's the devil speaking in our, in our ears. But we all are given a conscience by God. And, um, and we need to use it wisely. And we have this verse in Acts 24. The Apostle Paul, uh, and the background to this is Paul is on trial before Felix. Felix was a Roman governor, and uh, Paul had been creating lots of trouble, as Paul did. Um, and and in, this, in the speech that Paul makes um, in Acts 24, he says these words. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And he just, did, well, he just admitted to Felix that he worships God. So Paul is brave. He's standing in fr up in front of a, a Roman governor. And he is admitting to this Roman governor that he worships God. And he says, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And that's something that we need to do. We need to keep our consciences clear. And this is the message of this verse, do not steal. Okay, so let's dig a bit more into stealing. Uh, and the problem that it is. Uh, and we've got these statistics. We all know about stealing. Um, 
Stealing is a physical action. So we've learned about coveting and we've learned about lying. But stealing is actually a physical action, isn't it? You have to, to do something to, to, to do this, uh, this, this act. Did you know that the corruption is 5% of the global GDP? GDP is gross domestic product. It's a way of measuring how each country is performing economically. And 5% of that is, is corruption. So 5% of money moving around in, in each country is actually corruption. It's huge. Bribes cost $1 trillion. Cybercrime is $1 trillion per year. The UK spends 73 billion pounds um, on economic crime every year. And we pay for the price of theft, don't we? So how many of you used a key this morning? Yeah, you've used a key to get open your house. You've used a key to get out of your house and, and lock the door behind you. you. Used a key to get into your car. You've driven here. Probably on your mind is, did I remember to lock the door? Did I remember to lock my car? Where have I left my wallet? Wherever left my phone. All the time we're thinking about these things, isn't it? And what's at the background of that is potentially somebody could steal it. Yeah? Keys are a big part of our lives. And imagine life without keys. Imagine life without locks on doors. That's what it's going to be like in heaven. In heaven, there's going to be no locks on doors. I, I didn't really think about that until I did this and thought, heaven's going to be no locks on doors. We just walk into a door. It'd be great. Because this is sin, isn't it? And people steal. Uh, Chris, your business, I bet it's all car keys. Thinking about what car keys, locks, and I bet it's a real problem, real hassle. And, and my job, I'm an engineer, I work for a company that makes doors and windows. A big part of what we do is testing locks all the time to see if people will break in to the doors and windows that we're designing and making. And all the time, uh, we're always trying to, to second guess what a burglar would do to get into a door uh, to, to break into somebody's home. And it's rife, isn't it? Right across the world is, is this feeling of anxiety and, and worried about uh, whether or not someone's going to break into our homes. Um, insurance. We pay insurance, don't we, for things. We, we need insurance. And that's because of things like stealing. Um, and, and so insurance prices go up the more stealing happens in, in that area. And we, we, we pay taxes for the police. So many police need to be supported, and our taxes go towards that. Um, and we pay extra costs for things that we buy in shops because of things like shoplifting and all that sort of thing. Supermarkets and shops have got to pay security guards, so they put that price on the things that we're buying. So stealing is all around us, isn't it? And maybe back in the day when Moses and, and, and they were laying down these laws, maybe stealing was, was something that was... Uh, unusual or something that didn't happen very much. But in our lives now, stealing is just huge, isn't it? It's everywhere. Okay. So you might have heard of white-collar crime. And um, I've got some examples here of white-collar crime. But stealing is, is, is massive in, in the white-collar uh, community that is the the business community that sort of thing lots and lots of stealing and corruption happen there um, I've got three stories just from my life where I've witnessed this and they, they might be difficult for you to believe them but these things happened so the first one um, I used to have a business making doors and windows uh, and we would supply doors and windows to building sites 
all over the country, and they would fit them into these buildings. And sometimes we did small work, jobs, just domestic work in somebody's house, but sometimes we would work in the commercial world, which was lots and lots of doors and windows. And they were good jobs to get because you got paid a lot of money for that, and you could also keep the production line going with all of that work. So me and my business partner went down to London because we bidded for a big job down there. It was a couple of million pounds worth of windows, so a lot of money. Uh, it would have been a huge job for us to win. Uh, and we went to this building. It was in central London. It's that sort of place that you go by. There's lots of scaffolding poles in the pavement. So when you see lots of scaffolding poles in the pavement, something's going on with the building above you. You don't know what's going on, but trust me, there's a lot of work going on with that building above you. So we went into this meeting, and it was in, inside the building where we were going to be fitting these doors and windows, and we sat down at this table. We'd, we'd quoted the job, and we'd been invited down for a meeting with the guys on site. Um, and we were met by this guy. He was quite posh. He had a nice suit on, and he stood out from the rest of the people because everybody else on site had helmets on and high-vis jackets and boots and were pretty grubby from cutting concrete and all that sort of thing. But he stood out, and he, he was sat there. And he, sh he shut the door, and we're sat there. And he, the first things he said to us was, I want a new swimming pool in my house. And what he then started to tell us was, with our quote, how we were going to inflate the price of our quote so that he could take that money from the top and he could fit a new swimming pool into his house. And I'd never heard anything like this before. But this was, his, this was normal for him. This is how he was going to finance his, his new swimming pool. So we sat there and listened to it, and we closed our books, and we stood up, and we walked out again because we didn't want to get involved with that. But this was normal. And he was shocked at our response because he thought it would just be easy for us just to put another 100000 on our price. The client, who was above him with the money, would pay that money. We would take what we'd already priced, and he would take the 100000 and go and build a new swimming pool. Now, interestingly, we did actually win that job, but we won that job on our terms because we didn't want to get involved with that, and he didn't get a new swimming pool from us. But this, this shows what happens out there. Second story, maybe a smaller story. Work for a machine tool company. They make CNC machines for machining uh, aluminium profiles. Massive company in Germany, all over the world. And uh, they had a, claw, a, a, a bit of a loophole in their system where they would loan machines to people. And there was a, a, a policy that they could loan machines to people if they were uh, customer-facing sort of marketing and that sort of thing. But what happened was they, they actually found this loophole and they, they started to get people to pay for these, these loan machines. But they were paying cash to the directors separately. So the loan machines were going out. They could say to the, the owners of the company, yes, this is what we're doing. We're loaning that machine to them because it's for marketing. We can sell more machines that way but they, they were actually then getting paid money by the people who were using those machines to make money. And this happened, this happened, and it, it, it just took over. And, um, and eventually, all of those directors were sacked. The, uh, the, the, the German government had to buy out this company because there was so much corruption happening, this little idea that happened, uh, and lots of people lost their jobs. Last one, a glass factory. I love glass, sorry. Do you love glass? It was a glass factory close, close to Hull. And they were making glass units. So glass units in windows that you uh, see through every day. Um, and 
they were making lots of different sizes of glass. So production line, somebody orders a pane of glass, it gets made, it goes to them. Again, somebody found a loophole in that system and started their own little business manufacturing glass units. So they found that actually if they created an order, nobody else would see it, it would just go to the factory and all the factory would make all that glass unit and then somebody in their van would pull up outside and take those glass units away. Again, cash changing hands and this happened, this happened for, for a very, very long time. Somebody then uncovered this, the, fact, the, the whole place had to close down, everybody lost their jobs. So these are examples of things that even in my life that I've seen happen and affected a huge amount of people and their jobs. We can see other things on the screen. Uh, tax avoidance, insurance claims inflated. Yeah, maybe you've seen this. You, you're, you claim on your insurance for your shed's fallen down or something like that. They ask you, what was the value of your shed? And so you maybe inflate that slightly. It's dishonest. Who are you stealing from? Uh, mortgage applications inflated. Grant applications inflated. Accessing computers. A USB stick can download lots of information from a company's database, from companies' servers. And you can take that information and you can do whatever you like with it. Now, that's dishonest. You're stealing by doing that. And these are all things that maybe you don't really think is, it, it happens, but this information happens. And, and lots of people are paid lots of money to, to, to work on cybercrime and to protect the, the interests of these businesses so that this doesn't happen. What about our problems? Maybe we're not involved with that sort of white collar, maybe we're not involved with that sort of things there, but there's things that I think uh, maybe we might well be involved with. The stationary cupboard at work, yeah? How often do we maybe just go and look, well, there's a few pens, there's a pad of paper, batteries for things like that. We might well be tempted to pick up one of those and just go, well, I'll take some of these batteries home for the remote on the telly. I need some. They're there. Who's going to know? But we're stealing, aren't we? We're stealing from our, our bosses, from that company who've paid that money. And it's, it's a, a mindset that we need to get out of. <coughs> Duvet day. Nick, Nick spoke about this, didn't he, last week as well, about lying. But we're going to take a day off work. I'm going to stay in bed. They'll pay me sick. I'll ring in sick. They'll pay me sick. We're stealing. We're stealing from the company. Uh, theft of time generally at work. Starting maybe a few minutes late. Taking a few minutes extra on our breaks or our, our lunches. Leaving a little bit early. Um, that's the theft of time. Um, and something I thought of while I was doing this as well is... God's gift to us, not utilized. So, if God's given you a gift and you're not using that gift, is that stealing? Are you, what, what commandment does that fall under? If, you, if you've been given a gift of worship, maybe, to sing to people, preaching, to preach to people, to work with, with people who need help, support, that type of thing. If you've got that gift and you know you've got that gift and you're not using it, is that stealing? And who is that stealing from? You're stealing from God because he's given you that gift. I wasted 10 years by just doing things that I wanted to do 
And I had lots of gifts that God had given me. And I, I still remember those 10 years and think, you're an idiot, Jez. You, you could have been using that gift all of those 10 years, helping people with all of the stuff that you're good at, uh, and I didn't do it. So who was I stealing from? I was stealing from God. So maybe this is just sort of pricking you a little bit and just working inside you to think, you know, I don't think about stealing really, but there's an awful lot of things that actually fall under that bracket of stealing. Okay, the heart of the matter. It's impossible to steal without lying or, or coveting. So in the, in the build-up to the action of stealing... You have to have this, maybe you want something more, you want that, that coveting, you're coveting something. Or maybe you've told a lie to, to, to get yourself in that position. Or if someone asks you afterwards, did you steal that? And then you're in a position where you have to lie. Our world live for possessions. We know this, we see this every day of our lives when we hear conversations. The world lives for possessions. Everybody wants something else. They want the next best thing, the next, the next thing. There's an obsession, isn't there, with, with more and more possessions. And that's really difficult as Christians for us to live in that place as well where, where we're not slightly obsessed with obsessions as well. YouTube, this sort of thing, start to drag us into that world, don't they? Oh, yeah, if only I could do that. And everything's so accessible as well. Take out a loan, get a bigger mortgage, try and earn more money. We're driven towards the next thing and the next thing. And it's really, really difficult because our world is like that. And the devil loves that, doesn't it? The devil loves to, to take away those feelings of, well, maybe I shouldn't take that loan out. Maybe I shouldn't put myself into debt. In Luke 16, verse 13, uh, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is another word for money. There's a film in, in 1985, Clint Eastwood was Pale Rider. Anybody seen Pale Rider? It's a Western cowboy film. It's a great film. And Clint Eastwood's in his prime. And he plays the part of a preacher. Clint is a preacher in Pale Rider. And there's this really intense scene where he quotes this verse, you cannot serve God and mammon. Um, he's the preacher. He is trying to be manipulated by someone who has a lot of money and wants to grow his wealth. And he's trying to, he's trying to buy Clint, the preacher, and trying to get him to keep quiet about the stuff that he's doing. But Clint Eastwood says these words, you cannot serve God and mammon. And if we look at Luke uh, 16, just turn to me if you've got a Bible. We'll start at verse 10. Um, it's, it's a parable Jesus told called the parable of the shrewd manager, which is an interesting parable. Um, but we'll start at verse 10 uh, and just read a few verses of that. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So listen to what that's saying. Whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. So if you trust somebody with something small, you can probably trust them with a lot. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you're dishonest about something small, you'll probably be dishonest with something big. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And this is the verse. No servant can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and you love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then Jesus is looking around. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, here we go, Jesus, come on. You are the one who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. Who is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. God hates this greed. God hates this, um, this love of money. Uh, and, uh, and we need to be careful how we use it. So hopefully that's framed the heart of, of, of where we are with stealing. So I'm on my last page now. We've got a few more points to go through. Um, first of all, we'll just go to Chronicles. So I want to tell you that God made the world. And we believe that, don't we, because we read it in the Bible. And in uh, 1 Chronicles 29, 11 to 12, David, this is called David's Song. And if you've got your Bibles, let's go to 1 Chronicles 29, 11. And we'll read what David says there. In fact, I want to read from verse 10. That's the beginning of David's prayer. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Remember that. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So we, we know some of the history of David. David goes through ups and downs. David does some horrendous things. David does some great things. He's looking back on his life. He's just about to hand over the, the, the crown to his son Solomon, and David makes this prayer to God, and he's acknowledging that God um, owns everything. Everything we have comes from God. It's on loan to us, and God wants to know what I did with everything that he loaned me. Therefore, when we steal, we steal from God. You might think your boss owes you that, that pad of paper or that battery, but actually, when we take that, we're taking it from God. And back in Exodus 19, we read, we read that verse, uh, which, which, which Moses there also saying the same thing, uh, that everything comes from God. J. John, uh, in his um, interpretation of this, uses three things that we should do to, uh, so, so that, to handle money. He says that working is good. We should work. We should go out and work and earn money that way. We should save. So we should save money. Don't spend it all at once. And also we should pray. So if we want something, we pray to God for it. So those three things, working, saving, and praying. 
Okay. So, what do we do about all this? Maybe you feel a little bit condemned this morning. Maybe you've stuff that's happened. But let's move forward. Let's get a positive attitude to this. And I've got three points which is headed, get the right attitudes. The first one is that we should hate greed. Easier said than done, I think. And we have this verse, um, Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I want to ask you this morning, where's your treasure? Think about that. Where is your treasure? What, what is your priority? What do you value above everything else? It's easy to sit in church and say, yes, God, Christian life, Jesus, that sort of thing. Tomorrow morning when you get back into work, or you've watched a few of those YouTube clips or something like that, actually, where's your treasure? We need to align ourselves with what our treasure is hourly, I would say, on a daily basis. What is your treasure? What do you want? The next point is that we should love giving. Again, easier said than done. Tithing is a big thing for this. We tithe. My wife, Laura, and I tithe. And it's, it was difficult for us to get ourselves into a position where we could tithe when we first got married. We had some debts. We weren't very good with money. But we sat down with a couple from church who helped us get to a place where we could tithe. And that's 10% of our income. So we were paid We were paid on Friday, actually. And we tithed on Friday. The first thing we do when we get paid is to tithe. We pay 10% to the church bank account. And this church does great things with that money. Uh, trust me, I'm part of it. And it is, it is great. So that money isn't, isn't badly used. But God doesn't need that money. God tests us with this. We're paid. This is God. Everything's God's. We've, we've, we've discovered that already. So what we get paid is all God's anyway. What he wants us to do is just give back a portion of that back to him. And, and there's a test there. Now, when we first tithed, we tithed after tax. And that was pretty, that was pretty difficult. And then we, we were set a target to try and, ta- try and tithe from our before-tax figure which seemed a big lump of money. And so we, we had to organize ourselves and organize our finances so that we could do that because we felt challenged to do that. And so that represents quite a lot of money every month. But we do it joyfully. That's the key to this. This is why God tests us. You have to do it joyfully. If you regret doing it, if you, if you don't really want to do it, if you would rather spend that on a car, on a new sofa, on a new kitchen, then you better go and do that. What God wants is for us to do that joyfully. We take that money and we give it to God every month. We're on the same page about it. We never argue about it. We do that. We've decided to do it. Tithing is really important, but it's, it, it's from the heart. It's a heart thing that you do. So think about tithing. If you, if you, if you want to get in a place where you can tithe, Come and see us afterwards. There's leaders here who help you do that. But it's a wonderful thing that you can do. Uh, and it, it's definitely good for the heart. And my last point is, to get the right attitude, we need to trust in God. I said those words, working, saving, and praying. We trust God for those things. God gives us the things that we really need. He gives us our daily bread, and we thank him for that. But we need to trust God through all of this. We all want nice things, but we need to pray about that to God. 
We need to learn to live by relying on God's rather than our possessions or our bank balances. We need to learn to live by relying on God rather than possessions or our bank balances. And trusting sharpens us. It's a decision we make with God to buy that thing or to acquire that thing. We need to, we need to, to trust God for that. And if God doesn't want us to have it, we have to be okay with that as well. It's a daily decision. And trusting in God is difficult when things are going wrong. At my work, the economic situation isn't great. We're, we've got a fear of redundancy at the moment. And you know what that's like in, a, in working in a company. If you've got those rumours going round, there may be redundancies. You hear it in other plants, there's going to be redundancies. Redundancy means that you're going to be asked to leave work and you, you won't be earning money anymore until you find another job. And that's a real fear, isn't it? And I've got people in my team who are really worried about being made redundant. And so I've got to support them in that and talk them through it. But I trust in God. So I've got hope that, that God will look after me. God, God will give me my daily bread. If I'm massively in debt, that makes, that makes the pressure more, doesn't it, of redundancy. And so many people get in a lot of debt, then they're made redundant, and then things go really, really wrong. Working with homeless people, they're people just like you and me. They've, mad, they've made some bad decisions. Some of us are only a month away from being made homeless because we're that tight with our finances. We need to save. That was another one of J. John's work. Working, saving. We need to have that buffer in the bank to protect us from, from when things go wrong. But trusting in God is so important. We need to have a clear conscience. So as I finish off, we're going to pray. Um, but one thing you can do, if you've stolen something, is you can give it back. And it's as simple as that. And by doing that, there's a freedom. There's a freedom involved with giving something back that you've stolen. Maybe you haven't paid a debt off and you need to pay that debt. But there's a freedom involved in doing that. Maybe it's as small as a battery from your stationary cupboard at work. Just give it back. Take it back. Buy your own batteries. But there's, there's, there's something beautiful about that giving that back because Jesus did that for us, didn't he? Vindicated, we call it. And we're vindicated because Jesus saved us. So let's pray. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.